Mark chapter 10, Mark chapter 10. And what I'm going to do is read. Um, This morning, we're going to be looking at verses 17 to 31. And so I'm going to read, and you guys can follow along as I read. All right. Everyone there? Kind of. Some are like, hmm, but you're not. Um, (laughs) Tell the truth. I'm kidding. All right, Mark chapter 10, 17 to 31. All right. And as he, that is Jesus, was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Um, You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man, It is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. For all things are possible with God. Yes. The reaction I was looking for. (laughs) Anyway. um, All things are possible. Where was I? Um, There we go. Verse 28. Peter, (laughs) Peter began to say to him, Uh, See, um, we have left everything and followed you. Um, 29, Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Let's pray, God. There is so much in here that communicates to us who you are. There is also many things in here that communicate to us how you want us to relate to one another and to you. And so this morning, in this window of time, as we've 
sung of your goodness as we've been reminded of your power through our fellowship together. And now as we come to reflect on who you are, what you expect from us through your word and everything we're going to be doing after, may you, God, inspire us to grow, to love you in a way that communicates to the people around us that you are our treasure. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Verse 17 says, And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him. And so at this point, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem And as he's on his way with his disciples, a man runs up to him and kneels before him. Two other Bible writers help us know a bit more about this man. Who was he? Matthew's version of this story tells us that he is young, okay? And Luke tells us that he is a ruler of some kind. Later on, what we're going to discover is that this man is pretty wealthy. He's got a lot of money. Rich man, okay? So he is young, he is wealthy, and very influential indeed. And so the experiences and respect that came with his wealth and achievements was everything he had hoped for. But deep down, there was still something missing. And this is what kept him up late at night. And this is what made his soul restless. And the thing that kept him up at night, made him restless, had to do with the afterlife. afterlife. He wasn't sure, right? He was sure about a lot of things. That's why he was very successful. But he wasn't sure whether he would make it into heaven when he dies. He had sought help from so many people. I can imagine he sought help from the religious leaders of the time. He's read tons of literature about what the afterlife is and what, it, um, what we need or what he needs in order to get there. But he was never satisfied, never satisfied with the answers never satisfied with the solutions that he discovered from all these people and all these places. Some of you here this morning may be in a situation similar to the rich young ruler. You have all you could possibly need, right? Financially, you're stable, um, relationships are going great, you have good friends, you have a good family that supports you, but like the rich young man, although you have everything you could possibly need, you may live in San Diego, America's finest city. If you don't, you may want to move here. I would recommend it. Look at the weather, all right? You may have everything you need, but there's a sense in which something is still missing in your life. 
This is why some of you have showed up this morning at church. There's a longing in your soul for more than you have. Let me just say this. Let me just affirm that like the rich young man, you've turned to not a place, right? You thought you've come to a place, but you've come to a place that will point you to the person he encountered. And his name is Jesus. And if you fully embrace him, you will be satisfied and you will find rest for your restless soul. And so, like most of the citizens back then, this wealthy young ruler has heard all about Jesus. And he's very impressed by what he's heard and seen in Jesus. And so this gives him hope, right? He is hopeful that Jesus may have the answer to his burning question about eternal life and what it takes in order to get there. And so as soon as he sees Jesus, you can imagine it, he just runs through the crowds because at this time, the crowds gathering around Jesus everywhere he went. So you can imagine, he just makes his way through the crowds, pulls this person aside, picks this person, throws it, just makes his way to Jesus, runs up to Jesus. And what he does must have stunned so many people. Why? Because he runs to Jesus. And back then, people of his stature and his reputation and such an influence, people like that never ran, let alone ran and bow their knees to Jesus, who was not only a rabbi, but he was a controversial rabbi. So imagine. But this man is desperate. He was willing to break cultural protocol to know what he needs to do to attain eternal life. Notice something about how he addresses Jesus. He calls him good teacher, right? Did you guys see that? Did you guys see it? Good teacher. This form of address was very unusual because although it was common for people to refer to Jesus as teacher or just rabbi, this was, right, the first time someone had referred to Jesus as good teacher, and so how does Jesus respond to this rare um, address of his name? How does he respond? He doesn't directly answer the man's question, but instead what he does is he takes him on this self-reflective journey in order for this rich young man to discover the answer for himself. Let's look at verse 18. Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. To label Jesus as good was not only 
unusual, but it was kind of borderline blasphemy. And the reason for this is rabbis in those days did not allow the word good to be applied to them. They held to the conviction that only God was good and that the word good must be reserved for God alone. And so that's why Jesus responds the way he does. He was like, whoa, whoa, steady, kid, steady. Why, why do you call me good? Don't, don't, why do you call me good? Because as far as goodness is concerned, only God is good. And by saying this, wish we had more time to unpack all of this, but I'll give you a brief, give you the spoiler. And by saying this, Jesus is not denying he's good. He's simply reminding him of who's truly good. And in doing so, Jesus is affirming that he is good. Like this man, rich young man, many of us come to Jesus for answers to life's most difficult and important questions. We come to him in desperation. We come to him with a need, with a pressing question. But what's interesting is that often Jesus doesn't provide an answer without first helping us see who he really is, without unveiling his true identity. Because This is why this is important, because knowing who Jesus is and accepting who he is is the first and most important step to getting answers to life's most important questions. It just is. If you read the Psalms, if you read interactions with Jesus, you will find that most of the time who God is is what is introduced to an individual who's interacting with God. And then they move on to talking about how to live and all of those things. Now, it's possible that this young man thought he was the bee's knees. He thought he was good. Okay, it's possible. Um, Because like most of us, he determined how good he was compared to others, and not to God. And Jesus draws this out of him. Look at verse 19. Jesus says, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Here, Jesus quotes from the Ten Commandments, Notice something interesting about this. He doesn't quote all of the Ten Commandments. He doesn't. In fact, he only quotes the second part of the Ten Commandments, which focuses on the relationship we have with other people. And in doing so, Jesus is saying this. Hey, only God is good. But, by the way, to answer your question, your original question about eternal life and everything, let's start here. 
Let's start with the Ten Commandments. Are you aware of the Ten Commandments? The man's like, of course I am. He doesn't stop there. What does he do in verse 20? He goes, yes, I'm not only aware of the Ten Commandments, but teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. Bar mitzvah, however you pronounce it, right? Bar mitzvah. With this response, the young man made it clear that he's been successful in keeping the commandments. He had treated people well. He had never murdered anyone or committed adultery. He wasn't a thief. He didn't cheat or lie. And since his bar mitzvah, he has been a good son to his mom and daddy. But as we're going to find out, there was something he lacked. And it was what stood in his way to eternal life and Jesus being so loving, so gracious, puts his finger on exactly what's preventing him from experiencing life to the fullest. And that's what God often does, doesn't he? He loves us so much, so dearly, he will often put his finger on or highlight areas in our life not to condemn us, right? But to help us know what it is that is preventing us from enjoying him and delighting in him. And so Jesus puts his finger on exactly what it is. Look at the first part of 21. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Wow. Looking at him, loved him. And said to him, you lack one thing. And at this point, you can imagine, right, the man's face, his face has lit up, eager to receive whatever Jesus would say next. He's, he can't wait to find out what he's lacking or what he needs to do in order to gain eternal life. So he is excited, Really excited, like when I come back from home and I, I've been traveling and my kids know that I've got a gift for them and I walk through the door and they all crowd around me and they're looking at me and excited to find out what I have for them. And this is what's happening with this young man. He's excited. He wants to know what he's lacking. But what he hears from Jesus stuns him. Looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And when you've done that, what does it say? Come, follow me. In other words, Jesus is saying to this rich, young ruler, liquidate 
all of your assets and give the proceeds to the poor. Give away everything you have. Leave everything and everyone so that you may be freed up to commit your life to me. This is why he's stunned. He came running to Jesus and asked him what he needs to do to inherit eternal life, but he was left stunned when Jesus revealed that to truly inherit eternal life is to give away everything he's inherited in this life so that he may follow him. How does this rich young man respond being stunned? 22 says to us, he not only was disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. The idea of emptying himself of everything he owned, this side of heaven, in order to gain heaven, was a commitment he was not willing to make. Why? Because it tells us he had great possessions. He had worked extremely hard to get to where he was at. He's like, you're trying to tell me all my years of hard work, I'm still young, probably handsome, very wealthy, worked hard to get to where I am. I'm an anomaly. I'm a prodigy. And you're telling me to get rid of it all so that I can commit and dedicate my life to you? Rico Tice, that's a real name, ladies and gentlemen. He's a British author, evangelist, says this. The man's reaction shows that he is treating his money as an idol, as more important than the God who made him. There is a greater treasure he would rather have than to be with Jesus and have treasure in heaven. His money is more important to him than God. For the rich young man, money had become his most valued identity. What about you? What has become your most valued identity. What in your life has become more important to you than the God who made you? What's the thing you would rather have than be with Jesus and have treasure in heaven? This call from Jesus may be 
personalized for this rich young man in the first century. But let's not mistake, let's not begin to think that there aren't principles that apply to us. Because there are plenty here. And I haven't needed to list anything. And I'm sure you guys are smart enough and applying it to your life. Jesus calls us to the same level of commitment. He is calling you and I and every human being on this planet to a life of reckless abandon to him and his purposes. Are you willing to let go of everyone and everything that's become an idol in your life so that you can fully embrace Jesus and his purposes? Okay? And as I'm thinking through this myself, as you're thinking through this right now, I'm sure you've heard this before. You've heard this challenge of, are you willing to let go of everything in order to hold, get, you know, lay hold of Jesus? And his, I know you've heard this before, but that is exactly the problem I encountered and the problem some of you may encounter. You've heard all of this before. You've heard the call to fully commit to Jesus and lay down your life and be willing to let go of anything and everything for Jesus. But that has not become a reality in your life. If you are here and you've not made a decision to follow Jesus, and if you are here and you would classify yourself as a disciple of Jesus, he is saying to you today, you lack one thing. What honestly do you need to let go of in order to embrace Jesus, your Savior? It may be your pride. It may be your good works. It may be your I know it all attitude. Let go of all of these things so that you can be freed to follow me, Jesus is saying. He's also saying, and this may apply to some of you, stop allowing negative church experiences in the past to prevent you from fully committing your life to me. What is it 
and don't just think now. During this week, commit yourself to seeking God's face, not just so you can discover what you need to get rid of, but in that process, you will discover that there is nothing in this world more satisfying than fully living for Jesus for real. It's nothing. And so Jesus said nothing to stop the rich young man as he turned his back on him and walked away. Before he disappeared from their sight, verse 23 says, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, "Uh, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. So Jesus says that, and what he does is he repeats himself, and he wants to repeat himself here because he wants to make sure that his disciples understand what he's about to say, okay? And so verse 24 and 25 says, And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. Verse 25, listen to this. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Here, Jesus is using hyperbole. Okay, you guys know what hyperboles are. Hyperboles are exaggerated statements or claims not meant to be taken literally. We use hyperboles all the time, okay? I'm so hungry, I can eat a horse, right? One example of a hyperbole, or I have a million things to do today. Yeah, I'm sure you guys can relate to that. A million things to do today. I'm sure I said this this week. A million things, right? Hyperbole is not unique to our culture or um, our Western, um, our modern times. You can find examples of Jesus using hyperbole everywhere, okay? He just is. And so Jesus is using hyperbole and a figure of speech here when he talks about um, how can a, it's easier for all rich men to enter into the, let me just get 25, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And so Jesus is using hyperbole to help them and us understand this, that it can be very hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven because they are prone to rely on their wealth rather than God to provide for and protect them even unto eternity. And so as the disciples hear this, they are absolutely stunned by what Jesus said. And we know this because verse 26 says what? What does it say? It says, they were exceedingly astonished and said to one another, then who can be saved? Who can be saved? They were shocked by Jesus' statement and to and began to wonder of these things. And, and the question is, why were they shocked? Why were they shocked by what Jesus said? And this is so interesting. Listen to this. This is why. In the world in which they lived in, wealth was a sign of God's favor on your life. Old Testament Jews looked on riches as a blessing from God. They held to the view that if you live a good life and you are a good person, 
then God will reward you with prosperity. And so in those times, whenever they saw someone who was wealthy, right, everyone will be like, my goodness, God loves this person. He is a man of God. He's a woman of He is so blessed. Why? Because he has prospered. And so this is why they're shocked by what Jesus says. They are exceedingly astonished because if the rich find it hard to be saved, then that means ordinary people have no chance of making it to heaven. This is a logic here. This is how they're thinking about this. And this is why they say, who then can be saved? If it's nearly impossible for the rich to get saved, then the majority of the population are doomed. That's how they're thinking about this. Jesus, sensing their frustration and hopelessness, steps in and revives their hope. Look at what Jesus says in verse 27. Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. All things are possible with God. And in this context, what you have to remember is that it's talking about the whole idea of salvation, okay? I remember when I used to read this verse, and I'd just pluck it out of the context, and I'd be like, oh my gosh, all things are possible with God. I can fly. <laughs> no, I didn't attempt that, of course. That's why I'm still here. This is what this is saying to us this morning. We can never do enough to inherit eternal life. There is nothing we can do to enter into God's kingdom, humanly speaking, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. There's a line from a famous hymn I love so much, and it says, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. It's a reminder that when it comes to our salvation, there's nothing we can contribute. There's nothing we can do to be saved. It's impossible as far as it concerns us, but it's absolutely possible because God makes it possible. And so Jesus comes on the scene and reminds us that all things are possible. And how this applies is this. I know for sure there are, in a room of this size, many of you have friends, family, co-workers, whatever, that you've been praying for to be saved. You have been praying for them to know the beauty, the grace, and the love of Jesus, and you've been praying for a long time. You just have. I have people like that. And they've had seasons where they've shown promise and they should be making progress, but just when they get nearer to Jesus and encounter Jesus and discover what it takes to follow and live for Jesus, they're like, mm, not for me. 
it's just not for me. I'm not willing. I love this, and I love this, and I'm not willing to let go of these things in order to grab hold of Jesus. And so may this encourage you. May you be encouraged by the fact that Jesus right here is saying all things are possible, especially when it comes to seeing others we loved saved. Verse 28, after hearing all of this, Peter says, See, we have left everything and followed you. In other words, Peter's saying, Hey, look at us. What about me? <laughs> what about us? Uh, well, what about us? We've left everything to follow you, Jesus. And it's a question many of us have asked. It's a question that I ask. As you guys know, Eleanor and I moved from London to Los Angeles in 2010 to pursue um, the call God has on our lives. And I kid not, even though we live in like Southern California, it's a great place to stay, and I love what I'm doing, and I enjoy what I'm doing. There are times when I'm like, man, I'm working so hard. I'm putting in so much effort. We've sacrificed so much. What is, it, what is in it for us? We're a big family. But we live in a small space. We love our space, by the way. But according, right, to what, what, where we should be, we should be living in a big space. There's so much that we don't have because of our decision to follow Jesus. There's so many comforts we don't have. And I'm not saying because I'm saying we're awesome. No, you know, we love everything. But there are times when I wonder, and I'm just like, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? And I'm sure you've asked the same question as you have pondered what you've given up for Jesus. Don't, some of you are like, like you've given up possessions, you've given up finances for Jesus, and you've given to the Lord's work. Some of you have given up your preferences. I'm always, I just love everyone here that has made a commitment to this church plant, right? Because when you make a commitment to this church plant, you don't have the many perks and benefits of a bigger established church, right? One thing is you have this British black young guy leading, okay, the whole thing, right? Along with some awesome lead. I'm thankful for that. But also, you just, we don't have a building. We don't have um, the most amazing kids' facilities. We don't have an amazing budget. We just don't have all of these things. We just don't. I work out of a coffee shop, you know? We don't have offices. We just don't. Everything is so raw. Everything is so messy. You don't have high-qualified counselors. 
that can counsel you, right? You're relying on the relationships you have in it. And I am just so thankful. I'm not just saying it, that you guys have decided to follow Jesus by being a part of this church. And being a part of this church means you've had to make sacrifices like this. So that you may follow Jesus, so that you may fulfill his purposes in life. And be encouraged. God will reward you. He will and he has. Pray that he gives you eyes to see the many ways he's rewarding you and will reward you as you continue to dedicate your life to living for him. Jesus ends it with this, verse 29 and 30. I'm just going to read this over you guys. And as I read it, I pray that it inspires and encourages you and strengthens you as you continue to love and live for Jesus. Listen to this. Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. The promise Jesus makes to us is that those who give their life for his purposes will not lack anything they need in this life and certainly in the life to come. It is costly to follow Jesus. It will cost you much if you decide to follow Jesus, but the cost is worth it when you consider the great lengths in which God went in order to save you and the many rewards and blessings waiting for you in this life and in the life to come. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. And we say thank you because we know who you are. Who you are, your characteristics, your attributes have been revealed to us in Scripture. And overall, you are a God who is good. And you're not only good, but a God who is great. And so as you've called us to consider fully committing our lives to you, may you speak, may you not speak, but may you give us hearts and minds and hands and feet that are obedient to what you've called us to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to transition to a time um, we like to call reflection. And this is not just a transition. Like, yeah, let's just transition. No, this is an intentional time 
we schedule within our service so that you can, you can reflect on all that you've heard. And as you reflect, let me provide you with certain several questions to help you get the most out of it. The first question is, what has God been saying to you? What has he been saying to you? As you listened, what are some of the things that struck you the most? The next question is, because of what Jesus has provided for you through his life, death, and resurrection, what do you need to do? It's getting really practical. What do you need to do? The next question is, when will you do it? And the last question is, who will help you to do it? And the reason why we provide that last question is because you cannot live this Christian life alone. You just cannot follow Jesus alone. When Jesus called the rich young man to follow him, it wasn't just going to be him. He was going to be part of the many people, his disciples originally, the many people that had committed their lives to him. And so who's going to help you? I would encourage you, if you have not fully committed to a local church, wherever you are, wherever you find a group, find a community of Jesus lovers and Jesus worshipers and followers and commit your life to him, they will help you. They will help you grow to love Jesus and live for Jesus for real.